Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Um, let me uh, read the scripture and let's get into our passage. So we're, we're now turning the corner, chapter 4. We got three more messages in Philippians before we close the year and start new things. So let me just go into four. Four verses one to nine. Paul says, So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and long for my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. And we unpacked that last week. It's more like two to nine, I'm sorry. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help those women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the, my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Dude, what is that spotlight about? I don't know who's up. Uh, I, just, I just got blinded. I'm sorry. That was just, I really am blinded now. Okay. So last few verses. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned, received, and heard, and seen me, and the God of peace will be with you. So, as we turn the corner in chapter 4, Paul is dealing with the elephant in the room of the book of Philippians. And that is that there is uh, a relational issues. There's drama. We finally, you know, get the actual characters involved in it. And so, so there's a harmony issue in the church. And Paul begins to specifically address what he's been preparing for. And he basically is telling us things that are necessary to have a, the right kind of culture in a church that is conducive to having harmony. You know, like a garden needs certain things to, to, to grow things well. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you have all the gardening knowledge, if you have like, you know, these gardening kind of a how-tos posted on the wall. If there's not certain things that exist in the garden, then it doesn't have what is necessary for growth. So Paul basically says, look, as y'all deal with the drama, these are the things, this is the culture, this is the garden, this is the stuff that is necessary for you guys to navigate conflict and have harmony. That's all that Paul is doing here. You could say this is a culture of the gospel, the basis for true harmony. So I'm not going to give you the bird's eye view. I'm just going to start going into these different facets that tell us what kind of community produced by the gospel allows us to have the harmony that we need in the midst of our regular conflict. So first thing I want to say is the culture of the gospel it means that love is our priority and preoccupation, period. I get that from verse 2. I urge Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So, you know when Paul drops names in the, in the Bible, it's usually because there's a false teacher. So the fact that Paul makes it a point to call out two people's names that are not false teachers, it shows how significant people loving one another in the church is to Paul. Very significant. I mean, you know, like, 
it's kind of like this. I'll give you a picture. Um, there are certain things that, that, that can be missing from dinner, and it's all right. If there's no soda, I can still have dinner. If there's no salad, I can still have dinner. If there's no vegetables, I can still have dinner. If there's no dessert, I can still have dinner. But if there's no meat, no, no carne, yo, you better go and get that. There's no meal without some type of meat. I mean, if you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry. I don't get that. <laughs> we have to have this. We, we, we can't do anything else. And Paul is saying, if there is not affection amongst Christians, there's no meal. We got to stop and make sure that's happening. You know, Christian love and affection amongst brothers is not like salad. You can do without it. It is absolutely essential. If God were looking at our church, he would not, and, and I'm pleased you guys are involved in these things. I'm so thankful, but, but let, let's just bring it to the bigger, more significant reality. God would not be saying, hey, hey, how is your kids' ministry doing, guys? He would not say, how is your worship? Is it like really engaging and harmonious? He would not say, how many people are in your church and how big is your church? He would not be mostly concerned with those things. He wouldn't say, how skilled are your volunteers? He would say, beloved bride of mine, how are you loving the people that I purchased that you're doing life with? That's what he's most concerned about. And so for, for us to have harmony, we have to realize that loving our brothers with the gospel's power, not our trying, is something that is very, very, very significant. It's not a secondary thing. But there's something else I have to say about the culture of the gospel, and this community is our life, not an hour of the week. You say, why do you say that? Well, Paul says these people are having issues, and what he does is he, he recruits the whole church to deal with the issue. Basically saying that, look guys, in order for harmony to happen, you guys have to be a community that is intentionally connected with one another in life. He doesn't say, hey, uh, give Eutyche and Syntyche the letter and let them read it. He doesn't say, give them a podcast. He doesn't say, give them a devotional or a blog. He says, you, the church, need to be connected to them. There can be no true harmony if we are Sunday morning, hour-long Christians. We have to be owning one another's issues, which is why Paul says, yo, there's a problem here. Church, collectively, corporately, you need to do something about it. So for us to have harmony, community is our life, not just an hour in the week. And, and, you know, community, biblical community, it, it's not like you need that kind of like the way you need like uh, some salt on your steak. That's not how it is. It, it's, it's more like you need community that's healthy and robust like a baby needs milk. And this is very hard for American Christians to understand because we have this narrative of, of autonomy that defines everything. You and Jesus and you and your spirituality is this individual thing. But Paul is saying, look, there's issues in the church and I am summoning a living community to itself. That is needed. So I'm moving quickly to these points because uh, we have to get out of here quicker because there's like a play. Uh, confrontation is always wedded. And, and just, just think, these are all tenets of this gospel culture that we need for harmony. Uh, confrontation is always wedded to gospel affirmation. It's always wedded to gospel affirmation. 
I urge Utica and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I tell you, my true partner, help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. In fact, this main idea of, 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 of gospel affirmation being accompanied with our confrontation, first I say it means we specifically affirm graces as we specifically confront sin. We specifically affirm graces in Christians' lives as we specifically confront sin. You know, Paul didn't say, hey, he doesn't say, yo, those bickering drama queens who are always fighting. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, these women who are laborers in the gospel, these women are about Christ. He's confronting them. They act in petty, but he's affirming grace in their life as he does that. I'm saying, you know, you know these drama queens who are so petty, you know, and so small-minded? He says, these women are laborers with the apostle Paul, and he values and affirms things in their life as he begins to correct error. He does that. You know, it's, 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 it's almost like, you know, you know that there could be serious blemishes in somebody's face, and they're still absolutely beautiful to you, even though there's real blemishes. And so God, even though he sees things that are wrong with us, it does not mean that he forgets all the grace that he has given us. And so if we confront people, we need to have a culture in this church that seeks to affirm people as we confront. And not just tear people down and not affirm. But there's a few other things I'd say about confrontation that's always ready to gospel affirmation. It means that we prioritize position in people's lack of practice. We... we, we uh, Prioritize position and people's lack of practice. He says, uh, these people whose names are in the book of life. So as he's talking about Eudike and Syntyche's issues, he says, hey, these people's names are in the book of life. It's not a throwaway phrase. Um, It's kind of like I I deal with my kids' issues in light of the fact that they're my kids. So my kids do really uh, bad things like all the time. Um, And I don't deal with their bad things in a way which is inconsistent with them being my child, but I deal with their bad things as a manner consistent with them being my child. What they do or don't do has nothing to do with the fact that they're my children, right? I hope you all at least get that. So Paul is saying, look, these women are not in this church because of their behavior, because of their successes. They're only here because their name was written in a book of grace that has all the achievements of Christ. And so they're in this family because of Christ. So you better treat them like they're in this family because of Christ, and they're not in this family because of what they're doing right or wrong. And we do that, don't we? When we begin to struggle and whatnot, we begin to treat people like they're in the book of works and not the book of life. And we write them off as if their lack of behavior or lack of harmony or lack of humility somehow has anything to do with their, you know, identity in the gospel. And Paul says, these women who are acting petty are in the book of life. So you better treat them like children who are in the book of life by grace as you deal with their issues. So... I'll say one more thing about confrontation being readed to gospel affirmation. And that's that we confront by calling people to faith. We confront by calling people to faith. Look what he says. He says, let these women agree with their issues in the Lord. 
He doesn't say, hey, you, you women who are scrapping and fighting, just get along. Come on, what's your problem? Why don't you be nice like we do? He says, you guys who are having problems need to agree in the Lord. Meaning, it's, 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 it, if I could give you a picture, it's like two people drowning, you know, and the reason they're drowning is because they're scrapping with each other and fighting with each other, correcting each other and trying to save each other. You know why we, you know what, you know why we fight? Because we all think we're super holy Jesuses that need to, like, fix everyone. And so we're, you know, these ladies, like, hey, I'm better, and I know what I'm doing, and no, you're not. So they're all really great people trying to be great and fix everybody, and so they're, they're fighting because of that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, and he says, you guys need to agree in the Lord. So, so you, you, you guys are drowning, you know, in your difficulties. And, and Paul is saying, you guys need to grab onto a, a life vest, a lifeboat, a life raft as you're drowning. Not just, just figure it out. Just fix it. Just be nice. He says, you need to agree in somebody else's graces. You guys need to cling to somebody else so you can have harmony. Not you guys need to figure it out by yourselves. So as we call people, as we confront people, we're calling them to faith in Christ in their issues and not calling them to themselves and just to figure it out. Does that make sense? My wife, my wife gets it. So moving on, confrontation is always wedded to gospel effort, but, but something else about gospel culture is we need a joy not in ourselves. A joy not in ourselves is always needed. A joy not in ourselves is always needed. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I mean, Paul's redundant. I mean, remember he said this in chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, here's a picture that I think it will help. My kids, uh, when they're playing with their toys in the car, it somehow always leads to a fight. Always. They're always bickering over their toys but then we roll up to McDonald's and the tunnels. You know the tunnels? You know what I'm talking about? The tunnels at McDonald's? They see the tunnels and they're bickering over their toys. It's, it's, done. it's done and they're having harmony together. Now, they were too preoccupied with small things, which was making them bicker, and then they got both preoccupied with something bigger, and because they both got preoccupied with something bigger, they had a harmony. So, so, so Paul is saying, look, we have too much joy in little toys. And what brings us together is having a joy in somebody else much greater. Because our problem, you know, what, you know why we're always fighting is we're always trying to rejoice in ourselves. We're always trying to rejoice in how we compare to ourselves and how we compete with ourselves and how we, and, and Paul's saying, you need something much bigger to rejoice in than you. You need to rejoice in the beauty of Christ. And as you guys get over yourselves and your little trinket toy joys and you rejoice in the glory of Jesus, there is harmony. There is harmony. Rejoicing in somebody who is perfectly lovely all the time. Rejoicing in someone who's always rejoicing over you all the time. Rejoicing in someone who's taken every blemish, every sin that you've ever committed, and he's wiped it out on the cross and buried it in the tomb. Rejoice in somebody like that who gives you credit for everything he did right, even though you never did anything right. Paul says rejoice in that. 
And stop trying to be a community that's trying to rejoice in how you leverage morality against your other brother, how you compare with your brother. He's saying that's too small. You need to go to the bigger joy of Christ, and that makes you guys be able to relate. So we need a joy not in ourselves always. Always. Uh, Moving on. These tenets of gospel culture conducive to harmony. Grace is on our sleeves, not in our pockets. Grace is in our sleeves, not in our pockets. You know, like you wear it on your sleeve. You get the... Verse 5 says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Say, yo, you guys need to have something that you uniquely wear on your sleeves above other things. And Paul says it's being gracious to people. Here's the problem. We in the church wear other things on our sleeves. Let me tell you what we like to wear on our sleeves. We are here and we kick sinners' butts. That's what we wear on our sleeve. Paul says that's not what you put on your sleeve. You know? Like, 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 we're like, we beat down people. We kill sin and we kill sinners at the same time. He says, no, no, you wear graciousness on your sleeve. You know? We don't tolerate sin and we don't tolerate compromise. Paul says that's not what you wear on your sleeve, church. It's not what you wear on your sleeve. Actually, when you wear that on your sleeve, you know what happens when that's, when that's on your sleeve? You get a bunch of people devouring each other like animals. Y'all know because we, we, we fall into that all the time, <laughs> you know. Uh, the culture that we wear on our sleeves is we're, we're, we're passionate people who got no time for the lukewarm. That's on our sleeve. Paul says, no, graciousness to the, uh, the person who lacks passions on your sleeve. When active people, you know, really active people who got no time for those lazy sellouts, Paul says, that's not what you wear on your sleeve. Graciousness to people that are struggling and, you know, dealing with those things is what we wear on our sleeve. Or, you know, the attitude in the church, oh, we're strong people. We're, we're, we're mighty people, and we got no space for those weak, you know, lukewarm Christians. You know what? That ain't spiritual. That's phony. That's phony. That ain't spiritual. Walking around with this, like, macho, we're great culture on our sleeve, and we, like, stepping on, like, the struggling people. Paul says, you need to be a church that wears grace upon grace upon grace upon grace on your sleeve. That's who we are. It doesn't mean that we don't, you know, think that those things are sins and, and, you know, compromise and all that stuff, but, but we're wearing grace on our sleeves as we deal with it. This is, a, this is, this is, grace is on our sleeves, not in our pockets. You know, I got grace in my back pockets for, for, for like, you know, the sometimes moment. Paul says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Not grace for someone's, you know. I got grace for that kind of a sinner in that kind of a lifestyle, right? We do that, right? We got, we got like partial, right? We got partiality in our grace. Paul says, let your graciousness be known to everyone, to everyone. Moving on about these uh, necessary things for uh, gospel garden culture for harmony. 
Its dependence is our banner, not our footnote. Dependence is our banner, not our footnote. Listen, the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a few ways I want to unpack this dependence. This is probably the biggest, biggest point. I think it's, it merits more attention. But let me say firstly about dependence being our banner is that we depend on proximity, not performance. We depend on proximity, not performance. What do you, what, you say, why do you say that? It says the Lord is near. What are we depending on? We're depending on someone being close to us. Um, if, I'll give you another picture because I like giving you pictures. My kids, um, when they're in the dark, they're very scared. And the dark is not very pleasant to them. But, but when um, I'm with them in the dark, something happens. All of a sudden, the darkness becomes a place to play. Okay? So, it, it becomes a place to play. So, 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 Paul is saying, look, Christian, in the unsure places, in the scary places, in the darkness of life, the thing that you need to rely on is not that you're good, strong, able, and capable. The thing you need to rely on is that God is with you. He's near in those places. He's near in those places, you know? And... <laughs> All of a sudden now, all those dark and scary places that are terrifying become my playground. Why? Not because, because the Lord is near. Because the Lord is near. He is there and it changes everything. <laughs> and it also changes all like the, I'm looking for Jesus rhetoric, you know? Like I'm looking for Christ, I'm finding Christ, I'm seeking Christ. And, I, you know, and Paul says, he's there. He's there with you. So we depend on proximity. Someone being near us, not our performances. I'll say a few, a few more things. We depend, we need dependence in place. Listen to this. This is a big one. We need dependence in anxieties, not in not having anxieties. What does Paul say? Don't be anxious, and then he just stops, right? Does he say that? No. He says, don't be anxious, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. So, Paul's saying that we, don't, the, we need to depend on God in our anxieties, not depend on not having anxieties. Uh, we, we, we see, we, this is what we want as people. We want for God to create personalities and situations that don't demand to trust him. We don't want to depend on Christ in anxieties and fears. We want to not depend on Christ through not having those things. And, but but, but, he, but what, what he's saying is, look... What God does for you, beloved, in the meekness of your weaknesses and your fears and failures, he gives you a place of refuge. That's what he does, as opposed to gives you uh, uh, reasons not to trust him. You know, if, if, if I could give a picture, it's almost like we're not like weak and flimsy trees, you know, that are in these environments that are just very bad, like very windy and very, you know, not stable. And so God says, here, power, I'm going to remove you from this environment, and I'm going to put you in another environment that's not that windy. That's not what God does. What he does is he takes these weak and flimsy trees and these chaotic environments, and he binds them to a cement pole. 
He binds you to the rock, Jesus Christ, in your flimsiness, in your fear, in your smallness, in your littleness. He binds you to an unbreakable, invincible, grace, rock, Christ. That's what he does. He gives weak, scared, anxious people this mighty refuge as opposed to giving us an environment that does not demand Jesus. He gives us a place to rely on Christ in our anxiety, not a place where I don't need Jesus because he removes the anxiety entirely, so to speak. If that makes any sense, I don't know. All right, good, I'm making sense. People tell me, like, I don't know what you're saying, Aldo. Get you. You guys. Dependence, listen, listen. Dependence in sincerity, not parading. This dependence in sincerity, not parading. Paul says, make your requests known. <laughs> He's saying, look, don't, 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 don't rely on God in this general kind of ambiguous way. Like, you know, like he's, no, be specific about your needs. Be specific about your needs. Make your requests, petitions, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> It drives us nuts um, how our kids are always being very specific about ridiculous things that they ask for us to help them, right? Like, oh, Papa, I, I, I went in my pants, and oh, Papa, I spilled the milk. But you know what? That's, that specificity and request of our neediness is what God is talking about, you know? It's not like this, like, oh, well, I need God because I just need to grow more and I need to, uh, you know, just read my Bible. Christ, I am so envious of that person, and I can't stand that person because they look better. I'm bringing stuff like that to you. Requests, real requests. I think about women in ways that I should never think. I'm telling you specifically about specific sins, not this general kind of, you know, self-righteous kind of dependence. God, I worship things that you made. I am so prefer, I prefer so much to just be about things that have nothing to do with you. I love them. God, I'm telling you on the real, what's up? On the real, what's up? I don't want to be nice to my kids. I don't even want to serve them. I'd rather sit on the TV and do what I want. God, I'm being real. I'm giving you real requests about a real sinner who has real needs. God, help me. Help me how I'm always trying to hide in all these things and all this stuff. God, help me in my vanity. Help me in my pride. Help me in my obsession to make everyone worship me. God, help me. Specific needs request to God. None of this, like, spiritual praying. It just makes us sound so good in how we ask. Oh, God. I pray that I will just, you know, go from two-hour devotionals to six-hour devotionals. Oh, man, he says, make your request. Be really specific about real needs. Dependence and regularity, not rarely. Dependence and regularity. Make your request known as in the present tense. That means this is just something that you do, you know, and I'm going back to the kids because I think it's a helpful picture. 
you know, you know, like it's like it's like every like me and Rebecca are like going crazy. It's like you're always asking for something. It's like you asked for something a minute before, and it's like now it's like stop it. Just be autonomous for like five minutes. But you know what? We act like we should be like that with God. But you know what? You shouldn't. You should be in all these moments like, God, please help me. God, I'm, God, 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 always and always, always, every second. Man, I, I feel like 20 times in this day I have just acted like you don't exist. And 20 times this day I'm saying, Papa, help me. I don't have these seasons of relying on God. No, no, no. I am like those obnoxious kids that I can't stand. I am making my requests known to God every week, every season, like that absolutely needy child. That's dependence. Dependence and regularity, not rarely. I'll say a few more things about dependence. Three. Dependence through Christ, not in dependence. Dependence through Christ, not in dependence. So, Here's the problem. We want to make how we depend on Christ the basis of us relying on Christ. So how well I depend on Christ, how much I trust Christ is how I can trust Christ. Does that make sense? So we begin to, we, we begin to, de- <laughs> we begin to depend on our dependence. Y'all, y- y'all track with me? But Paul says, with thanksgiving. I say, okay, like, not depend on your dependence, thanksgiving. Well, thanksgiving is... You should have a, Thanksgiving is having been given something and already having something, you should be interacting in light of the fact that you've been given something. Thanksgiving is just a way in scripture to say Christ has given you something to now receive and be confident that you already have. So here's the problem. A lot of times we think of depending on God kind of like going to a bank for a loan, you know. You go to a bank for a loan and they're like, how's your credit? How much money do you have in the bank for a down payment? Uh, how, what is your income, right? And 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 so they 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 see they see their ability to help us on the basis of what we would have. But Paul says, when you ask things from God, you ask with thanksgiving. It means you ask for things because you already got something, and not because you have bringing something to the table. I don't bring my morality, my success, my obedience, and my faithfulness to the throne room of grace to ask God for things. I go there with thanksgiving. And I go there because I have a right to be there. Because Christ has given me a right to be there because of what he has done. You know? It's more like, it's not like a bank loan request. It's more like a wife request. You know, when your wife requests something, (laughs) all right. It's not like my wife is like, hey, I need you to help. It's like, all right, well, let's see. How much income, and no, no, no. You, you, you have something that exists there already, that relationship, and so when you make a request, I respond. And so God's saying that you can have confidence to make requests to God, to rely upon God, because you should be there, because God has made you his own through Jesus Christ, not through your dependence, not through your morality, not through you. That's the problem. We don't go to ask things from God because we always think that there is something that we need to bring to that, that, that dynamic 
in order to go there. And Paul says, you come with thanksgiving, meaning you come here with the right to be here and the right to make requests because you have received grace in Christ already. That's dependence. So a few more things I'd say about dependence. We depend on an, we de- depend on an invisible affection, not circumstantial correction. Look what it says. And the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. So in the midst of your anxieties and your praying, what does God do? He says the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here, let me give you another picture that may help. Um, look, and please, I'm not, I'm not a good husband. I'm not romantic, okay? I just, it's just, just these are, okay, I, I oh, you're getting ready to go, oh, that's so sweet. Listen, um, before I, I got married to Rebecca, like, I really took, like, rejection, like, really hard. So every time, like, someone rejected me relationally, um, it, I just felt it, you know. But then I got married to her. I was like, it's all right, dude. I have, I have her approval, her affection. So you don't like me? You don't like me? You don't like me? You don't like me? All right. And it wasn't that God changed circumstances and he made me better or he made things better, but he, you know, he gave me someone's approval that was significant enough to enable me to just see situations differently. Okay, you guys can do the all stuff good. I'm glad. (laughs) So listen, being loved and having the approval of somebody significant is what changes everything mostly. The fact that God is delighted in us, he's delighted in us, is so much, it's so, that's the kind of stuff that gets me through all the disappointments in life. I I can deal with the disappointments in life. Why? Because I have the, the peace of the gospel, the peace of God is hovering and swallowing me up. That's what God does. A God who approves me and owns me and loves me in spite of me gives me the ability to remain strong in all the relational catastrophes, all the situational issues, all of the imperfections, all of the mess. I have the peace and approval and affection of somebody so significant that that is what changes everything. Beloved, that's the only thing that you really have. Which is why it's very problematic to say, you know what? Why don't you go to God and then maybe he can make you have more money. Oh, you got financial issues? All right. We'll we'll, we'll holler at God to get more money. You got relational issues? All right. We'll invoke the Santa Claus of heaven to fix that too. Oh, you lack success and you just have a kind of mundane life. We will invoke the Santa Claus of heaven to then bless that. And we act like God being in heaven, changing situations, changing circumstances is what's going to keep us. And God says, I got something more than that. I got a blast of infinite, unending affection showering on you through dependence and the gospel that will bring you through every situation. Though it never changes, I have the peace of God, not circumstantial correction. And I'm not, look, beloved, I'm not saying that um, it's, it's wrong to think that way or pray that way. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that God has something, 
The peace of God is what guards you ultimately. You guys know that because you guys have been in many situations where um, you had you had financial freedom, you had relational maybe success, you had and you still were absolutely had no peace and you were miserable. You know that. So God gives us something much greater, much deeper, and everything. But I'll say a few more. I'll say one more thing about dependence being our banner is that we depend in someone else, not in anything else. Look what Paul says. He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a little bit different than what I've been saying. We have dependence in somebody else. God guards us in Christ Jesus. And I think another picture that may be helpful um, to illustrate this is my kids have a, a tendency to wander a lot. They have a tendency to, you know, walk away. And so what happens is them walking away and getting scared is a means that they kind of get stuck to me again, right? And so anxieties and fears and all these things are basically God's way of kind of jolting us in our independence and autonomy and getting us back to the safety that we have in Christ. So, you know, it's... Here's the problem, guys, is, is we want God to, we, we, we want God to stabilize us in ourselves. So we have these places that we want to be in that are safe. So, so you know, okay, I, w- I want security and stability in my marriage. I'm going to find it in the way my marriage is. I'm going to find it in my finance. Or I'm going to find it in my whatever. You fill in the blank. And God allows that to just really just make you feel small and tiny because you're, you're trying to be in a, you're trying to find peace and security in yourselves. And that drives you back to the re- reality that you only have security in Christ. Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my wisdom. Christ is my sanctification. Christ is my life. Christ is my joy. I only have security as I'm attached to inside somebody else, not in God blessing and giving me security in other places outside of Christ. The, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds where? In Christ. And so God uses that as we try to stabilize ourselves in our places of achievement, God uses that to bring us to run back to the shadow of Christ where we find that. And that, that kind of dependence, beloved, is the kind of dependence that gives us an environment here conducive to harmony. Let me tell them, when people are too busy depending on Jesus, it's very hard for them to consume each other like the way we like to. When people are too busy being um, sufficient in themselves, they have plenty of space to devour one another. So dependence being our banner, not our footnote, is a very important thing. But moving on to the last couple points about this gospel culture, this gospel garden that we need. Tunnel vision. <laughs> Listen, tunnel vision is our goal, not our failure. Tunnel vision is our goal, not our failure. Look what it says in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and there's any praise, dwell on these things. Like he's like, just just stay stuck on these things. And if I could summarize, what are all these things? The things about Christ. Anything good, everything lovely, everything praiseworthy, it's all things attached to Jesus. So here's the problem. 
and this is a prop. This is this is this is very relevant to our time. Um, we want to dwell on sin and evil and what's wrong with people and the world. So Paul says, the tunnel vision of the church needs to be the beauties of Christ. But you guys want to have, you guys always want to focus on what's wrong, right? I said this on Facebook one time, and Christians, like, attacked me. I was like, you guys talk more about what's wrong with your political candidates than what's right with Jesus. You guys talk more about what's wrong in the world and what's wrong in the culture and what's wrong with kids and what's wrong with families and what's wrong in education. You talk more about sin than the beauties of Jesus. And you think that's Christian. Like, the more we, like, focus on what's wrong, the more spiritual we are. And Paul's saying, look, the tunnel vision, the preoccupation of the church is the loveliness of things about Jesus, not the horrendousness of sin, you know? When your tunnel vision is what's wrong with your wife and what's wrong with your church and what's wrong with your political candidates and what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that, you know what happens when that's your tunnel vision? Then you act in according to your tunnel vision. Y'all know, you focusing on sin makes you act how? Sinful. Doesn't make you act more, it doesn't act, make you act more righteous. It makes you act more sinful. Why? Because all you're ever thinking about, all you're ever focusing about is sin. Of course it is. And Paul says, look, the tunnel vision of the church, the preoccupation of the church, it's, you know, it, let me get another picture. My kids, the, they have these phases where they just play the same movie over and over and over and over again. It's like, I mean, the cars is like on our house like 50 times a day, every day. That's you, beloved. Obviously, you're not playing cars. But you, on repeat, all the time, you are, you are setting your mind intentionally. You are putting yourself in a position to preoccupy yourself with what is right about Christ, what is lovely about Christ, what is beautiful about Christ, not what's wrong with you, your family, and the world. That's our tunnel vision. And we got, we, we got to be real because we think, we're, we think there's some sort of healthiness to just being all obsessed with what's wrong with our spouse, what's wrong with our kids. We just think that's so great. I'm, so, I'm awesome. If, I, if I, I could get a Ph.D. in sin finding. But Paul says get a Ph.D. in glorious Christ crucified loveliness finding. Why don't you focus on that? Beloved by grace, oh my gosh, we need help, don't we? But this is the kind of community, this is the kind of culture that enables people to navigate issues. When the tunnel vision is the beauties of Jesus, not the ugliness of everything. One more thing I'll say about tunnel vision. The tunnel vision of Christ's objects of grace. Look what it says. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Paul's saying, look, there's only one kind of person you need to model your life after. And that's basically someone who is trusting in Christ. This is a problem because we as Christians, we want to model, we, we, we want to have like 50 models of life. Okay, I got Oprah. I have Dr. Phil. I'm, I'm being kind of silly, but you get the point. 
I got the new age, uh, the, 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 you know, the new age gurus, the self-help gurus, celebrities in Hollywood, athletes, and, you know, um, famous musicians and bands, and all these TV preachers who, like, preach, like, morality and no Christ. He's like, we have all these models of life. And Paul is saying, beloved, just fix your mind on one kind of person. That's the kind of person who realizes that he sucks and needs Christ. I mean, I'm... This is the reality. What, what kind of people do you want to model after? What kind of people do you want to disciple you? What kind of people do you want to look to? People that realize that in themselves they have nothing at all and they have everything in Christ. That's the only kind of person you should be modeling your life after. And Paul says, do these things that you've seen in me. Not because I'm special, but because I have a Christ who I am looking to and finding myself in. So tunnel vision of Christ's graces, tunnel visions of Christ's objects of grace. The last point I would say about this, these necessary components. The band, yeah, the band will come. These necessary components in the church in order for us to have the ability to navigate issues is affection is our only seal. And at the end of the day, Affection is the only thing that closes the door behind us, if that makes So look, I get that from the last part of verse 9. It says, and the peace of God will be with you. Paul is saying, hey, look, the back door of the church, you know, the lock that's going to keep the church closed is the peace of God. Simple enough? But let me tell you what he's not saying. What closes the back door of the church is not the wrath of God. You know what I'm talking about? We be acting like what's going to keep us safe is being scared to death about the wrath of God. That's the, you know, that's the, the God of wrath will be with you, right? That's how we think, right? Or, you know, we think like the God of law will be with you. The God who just gives you all the imperatives and all the how-tos, get that that's what's going to keep you in, in, in the church, right? That's going to be your seal, right? The God of law, the God of wrath. Or we may say things like the God of miracles. More miracles, more wonders. That's what's going to close the door of the Christian life, right? We think that way. I'm not talking about the miracles of, of grace, but just kind of like those more secondary ones. Or, you know, or the God of karma will be with you. You can say that. The God of order will be with you. But, but, but Paul says, look, the thing that's going to close the door and seal you in the church is the God of peace, which means that all that you have is a God who says, I own you, I love you, I bought you because I obeyed in your place, and I died in your place, I was resurrected in your place, and now I'm a priest in your place. That is the only thing that seals the church in security. That's all we have. We have nothing else. And we're trying to be sealed by other, other things, not this affection of grace behind the door that closes us in. It becomes very hard to keep us in the same place together because everything else will prove itself not to work. So, beloved, uh, I just want to remind you that all these things that we're talking about, all these things about dependence and tunnel vision and, and affection and and 
and grace on our sleeves. They're, they're just things that the gospel produces. You know that, right? Paul is saying, look, this is the kind of things the gospel produces to be a healthy, safe environment. He's not, he's not trying. I, I feel like I need to say that because I think we hear these things and we immediately think, all right. All right, I need to be more gracious. Okay, uh, I need to be more dependent. Okay, um, I need to be more concerned about community. Okay, I need to be more. But it's not, Paul is saying, look, th- this, is what, this is what grace should be producing. Okay? And so as we see these things that need to be in our church, this church, your family, our lives, we realize what we need to trust Christ for. Amen? Father, thank you so much for giving us a garden that we could actually live in. <laughs> We can't live anywhere else on the real. So, 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 Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for just giving us a place that we could live in and not just giving us a place that we can live in, but you being the one who makes the place livable by your grace and your power and your goodness and nothing in us. So, Father, thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would help us to, to have this kind of a culture because this is all that we have and this is all that we that we really could exist in, Father, because we are always going to disappoint one another. We're always just going to fail one another. We're always going to have Eutyches and Syntyches. We're always going to have that. But, God, if we have this grace garden to live in, Lord, you could be glorious in it all. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconcilechurchmiami.org.